in the not too distant future. Following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, plus the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to The Last Comic Shop. Taped before a live but horribly mutated studio audience, this is The Last Comic Shop! The audience is kind of dead tonight, aren't they? I couldn't resist. I couldn't. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and welcome back to another week of our fantastic broadcast where we talk about comic books and other things that are related to comic books, at least this week, because there was some big news in the fact that WandaVision uh, officially wrapped up its season. I don't think they're making a second season, so this will be its first and I guess only season, but uh, it was the most highly watched program in the entire world at least for the last couple of weeks and somebody that wants to talk about that on this show is my co-host chad smith chad what do you think of the entire wandavision experiment well it's neat in our culture we so rarely have things that everybody sort of stops and experiences you know in the same time frame and so it was cool to week in and week out have everybody watching it, you know, that weekend and, you know, coming back to work on Monday and being able to talk about it. It had non-comic fans. I had, you know, friends that don't read comics at all totally wrapped up in it. My wife sat in rapt attention each episode. So I, th- I think it was a rousing success for Feige for the opening salvo in the Marvel Cinematic Television Universe. Well, there you go. The other co-host I have every single week is my wonderful cousin, J.A. Scott. Now, J.A., what did you think of WandaVision? The series as a whole was interesting, kept me coming back, kept me renewing my Disney Plus subscription month after month. And darn it, now they've spaced it out that I've got to renew it for yet another month to see if it's worthwhile to keep it going going for um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So they're just taking my shekels month after month. Yeah, Disney's going to get it, buddy. Disney's going to get it. That's true. And and speaking of which, again, that is the next program that's going to be coming out, the Falcon and Winter Soldier. I I did want to kind of start off our little mini conversation by asking, do you think that with the enormous shoes that evidently this series has to now fill in the kind of uh, collective uh, consciousness in regards to like how successful WandaVision is. I don't know. Do you think that uh, Falcon Winter Soldier is going to measure up? Well, in some respects, it will. I mean, if you think of sort of all the MCU movies, they always set like a base level of competence. So, from the sort of base level of competence in in how they're made, how they're constructed, production values, it's always going to meet that requirement. Uh, and then certain movies at certain moments would, you know, touch the zeitgeist or, or, or rise above the base level. So if you look at, you know, Ant-Man 2 was a very good movie or everyone sort of liked it, but it wasn't on the same level or plane as the Black Panther, which one could say was more important to the general society and, and what was going on and what we talked about than even the infinity war or uh endgame were even though endgame made you know a billion dollars right and i think to piggyback off of that i think marvel has they have a really solid plan because you have this whole wandavision and that was all centered around grief and what are people going through right now but they're grieving for the last year of their lives and they're going to follow that up with a buddy cop and yeah. more people miss more than buddies. Aww. And I think Stan and Mackie have such a great chemistry. And the, like, if you saw the Super Bowl commercial, the action scenes look like they're you know they're fantastic. The music was all there. The pacing was there. And with that chemistry, I think you're going to have a really great show that's going to keep people and maybe even bring more to the yard. 
No, and I think it was a good play on them uh, kind of following up the... I won't lie. It's, it's uh, you know, WandoVision at the end of the day was a family drama. I think that's why it was a touchstone for a lot of folks because it was dealing with families. It was dealing with, as you said, Chad, it dealt with grief and the loss of folks that are near and dear to us. And, and that's something that we've been dealing with over the last year. And uh, I think that it was good that they're going to be following up kind of like, again, a family drama with more of a action packed spy thriller kind of, series especially now with uh, with with some of the i guess some of the political undertones i mean i don't know if you've seen some of the pictures of the u.s agent darn it does he not look like he just came out of captain america and hail hydra like that's (laughs) at least that's what i thought he looked like he looked like the 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 hydra cap to me personally he just he looked like that and so uh, I'll, i'll be interested to see if they play up that angle as well before we get too far away from it, I'd like to talk about that WandaVision finale, though. What did you guys think? Oh, man. Was that a gorgeous costume or what? Like, that's the first thing I want to say. I, I'm serious. I am serious. Dead serious. I loved the costume. And All the emotional undertones, and Andy's like, look, she has the little horn thing. I know, right? That was the best. It's about time she got the crown. Like, that's, she is the Scarlet Witch, and she, they have finally embraced her as the character. They've given her the chaos magic. They've given her the hex. They've given her the headpiece, and, and even a wonderful costume to match. And even my wife, you know, she was like, oh, that's just so classy looking. It, it, it looks like uh, what they did with the Captain America classic costume uh, for the MCU, in which they modernized it, they kind of made it look like it was something that somebody would actually wear realistically in in real life, but at the same time had all those classic elements of the original costumes over the years. It just gave me the the feels, man. I was just like, oh. He's talking, of course, about the Cap costume from Winter Soldier, not the one from Avengers, which we can all agree. <laughs> Is horrible. <laughs> it made me wish that Quicksilver had stayed around because I would have liked to see what they did to make a real Quicksilver costume. So I agree. I liked it. Uh, in terms of the finale, the emotional sort of saying goodbye to Vision and the kids, you know, that touched a lot of things. And that was quite heavy. I, I And I thought they, yeah. they, they walked that delicate line. They could have gone overboard and they didn't allow that to go overboard so i felt i uh, that was good the of of all the things if i had to nitpick if i had to say it didn't quite work i thought the vision on vision fights got a little cgi they they went a bit into black panther fight scene territory that it was just too much uncanny valley at times Mm. i thought it worked much better when they stopped fighting and they were debating. Yes. And they were using their intellect. <laughs> yeah. That was much more interesting. They could have cut down on the fisticuffs a bit and gone into the intellectual side of the argument and fight sooner because that's what vision is. Vision isn't, you know, a brawny, bulky, Hulk type character. He's meant to be using his mind and his logic and his intellect to overcome. Yeah, and and that ship conversation. If you rebuild the ship with new boards, is it still the same ship? And and he was talking about how it's what the wear of the ship is actually the real ship, and 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 that's talking to Vision's experience. The the only question I had is where does he go? Like they yeah, give him back his memories, up. and he just runs away. I, I was hoping that we get like a one of the post credit sequences would be Vision coming back or at least showing where he went. But he just flies off. He's like, whatever. He, he, well, it's obvious. He went off to Great Lake Avengers. <laughs> that was God. the saddest part for me, is that I, I wanted That's... to see what happened to White Vision. Because, like, now his comic book is skyrocketing. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before you get into that, not Wanda murdering her children oh. and tucking oh. them in at night. They're going to come back. If you are a fan of comic books, you know that that is, that's probably setting what happens in this multiverse of madness, which is the next place we're going to see Scarlet Witch in the next uh, Doctor Strange movie. It's going to be her trying to get her kids back, and that's just going to break reality. So as they as they said in the thing, you know, they, you only can say goodbye to say hello eventually, and she's going to say hello to her kids again. You'll see. Go ahead, Chad. I honestly, I didn't like it at first. 
when I watched the episode, I thought, wow, this does not live up to my expectations. But I think that was more a fault of my expectations. Like, I wanted a bigger bad than Agatha Harkness. <laughs> I, you know, the Vision thing, I, I didn't think that was a satisfying ending where White Vision just disappeared. Like, where did he go? And so, but the more I thought about it, the more the, you know, I thought about the emotional beats of the series. You know, as much as the last episode was just people like, oh, look at my CGI magic. Oh, I have CGI magic too. Oh, look, let's fly and punch. But like, the real heart of the series were all those emotional beats. And boy, like, it did get dark. It did, like, plunge the emotional depths. And so I'll be interested to see what happens to Wanda as a character coming out of this. Because, sure, it was accidental, but she just took over how many people? Like, how yeah. many people? Were- and they just let her go. Way, sort of acknowledging, okay, you're a bit too powerful, so you can go away. Mm. Will the people ever understand what you gave up? No, they hate me anyways. Of course they do! You trapped them in this <laughs> yeah. horrible place for how long? They don't care that your husband died and you made up some kids that are now dead again. You yeah. trapped them for like months right this fancy and they and they were mentioning how like they were all having nightmares like they're like we just want to sleep or at least kill us like it's just like oh my god where are we going with this wow yeah, it was super dark i was surprised they went there with a lot of the stuff in that show but at the same time like i'm i'm hooked in i gotta know where everything else leads and so they did their job yeah. i'll be tuning in for dr strange 2 and everything else yeah, and, and I wonder if they're going to ever bring in Memphisto. That was one of the parts that I didn't understand. For those folks that read the comic books, that's actually where these souls evidently came from for Billy and Tommy. They come from uh, Memphisto originally, at least in the comics. And yeah, so Shards be, of his soul. I'd be interested how the Darkhold comes in there. I, I don't know. Yeah. but One last thing before we go. I also loved how you know we had all this fanboy... What's going on with Quicksilver? Have they crossed over? Is it the multiverse? And then they just go, no, he was just an actor. (laughs) (laughs) His actor name was like Ralph Boner. And he's like, haha, Boner. And meanwhile, the real actor's last name is Peters. It's like, haha, Peters. It's all (laughs) cock jokes. (laughs) All right. Well, we've got more uh, comic books, actually, to talk about on today's program. So we'll be right back with more of The Last Comic Shop right after these messages. We're actually going to be reviewing a comic, and it also stars a pretty kick-ass female superhero in Wonder Woman. So stay tuned for our review of Wonder Woman Dead Earth right after these messages. Hey everyone, Brian Thomas here from the former The Batman vs. James Bond show and the upcoming The Night Cave show. Do you like noir, black and white, gritty murder mysteries? Do you like crime stories or even pulp comics? Then you're going to love Nick Palatichuk's debut graphic novel entitled The Greenway. It's 1968, and Butch Schultz, a black market merchant, finds that his friend has been murdered in a mansion in St. Paul. Now he is out looking for who did it, while the city's best detectives are on the case. Nick's graphic novel is already getting rave reviews, let me tell you. Zero Supervision Comics Podcast says, a dark, intriguing story that makes you want to know more. The Glenn Thinks Stuff Podcast says, it's explosive, captivating, and alluring. And actor Kyle Hester from The Chair, Zombie with a Shotgun, and Preacher Six says, can't wait for this book. You got to get on this. Order your copy today at Indie Planet, A New World of Comics. That's www.indieplanet.com. Hard copies and digital copies are available, and now digital copies are only $5. That's where I said it, just $5. So make sure you order yours today. All right, we are back with more of The Last Comic Shop. And on today's program, we've actually got a comic book for us to review, as we often do on this show. Uh, It is what we love to do, is actually show you great comic books that you can go out to those comic book shops in your area. Hopefully not the last ones, like us. But hopefully those ones that are trying to stay alive and pick up some of these great books and take them home and and enjoy them. And on today's program, uh, it's very fitting given we are the last comic shop because it is a post-apocalyptic kind of Elseworlds story. And it's actually a story, uh, a comic book that was recommended to us on a previous show. You can go back and listen to our Wonder Woman 84 movie review from several weeks ago. And we had the wonderful Mikey Wood on this program. And he actually recommended at the end of that show uh, a book called Wonder Woman Dead Earth. 
And uh, we should actually have Mikey Wood back on the show. Maybe we'll have him back on the show next week. He's a fantastic uh, local Pittsburgh uh, comic creator, and he always has great opinions on comics. So we'll have him back next week. But we wanted to read the book that he recommended, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, and J.A., who was uh, responsible for this wonderful comic book. Okay, so Wonder Woman, Dead Earth is a four-issue mini-series with story and art by Daniel Warren Johnson, coloring by Mike Spicer, with lettering by Russ Wooten. Okay. And this comes out of their Black Label, Chad. For those folks that don't know much about the Black Label, what, what, what was that more of an adult brand, DC, or...? Yeah, absolutely. This started, uh, the first book under the Black Label, I believe, was the infamous Batawang issue of Batman Damned, where we saw too much of Batman. But these are books that are targeted at an adult audience. Oftentimes they'll be oversized, and they, they're out of continuity. DC lets creators go all out with their characters in these prestige format series I like this one. Yeah, I think actually this is the first Black Label book that I've I've read out of DC. Um, I've wanted to. There's several that have been in my read pile stack, but uh, I've actually just never gotten around to it until today. And speaking of that book, what happens in Wonder Woman Dead Earth? Chad, do you want to give us the 10 cent synopsis? I'll do my best. So basically, post-apocalyptic, humans are bad. They screwed everything up. Diana also screwed things up and Wonder Woman wakes up and doesn't know what's going on and she is traveling around and finding monsters and killing them and finding people and trying to save them and then she decides she doesn't want to do that and then she goes to Themyscira and sees what's happened there and there's Cheetah with an extra cat hand and teeth coming out of her face and there's all sorts of craziness and there's awesome sound effects Wonder Woman's going on. She's collecting relics from the old Justice League, and you're seeing what happened in the past as well as what's happening in the future as she's dealing with all this stuff. And uh, and yeah, yeah, post-apocalyptic Wonder Woman. Uh, good times. Come on, yay! Well, that's a good te- that's a good ten cent synopsis. And I will say that if if you haven't noticed, I, I really do love post-apocalyptic books I, I really do there's something about them that scratches an itch for me maybe it's this whole notion of like the collapse of society and and dealing with the the aftermath i especially love those uh, post-apocalyptic movies that are like i don't know maybe a hundred years after the fall or whatever in which a different kind of society has built up out of the remains of the old and there's there's new laws that have been written by nature and most of the time, there's some sort of mutant creature rustling around in the shadows, stalking the what's left of humanity. You got to have your mutant creatures. Just yeah, make some more- and, and in this book, you do. I forget what they're called. They're the Hadria or something. Hydra. Hydra. Is that is that what they how they pronounce it? Because I that's how I read it. Okay. <laughs> All right. But it's interesting because there are these creatures that are trying to get the last rem- remains of humanity. And you find out that later in the book, spoiler alert, that they're actually the remains of the Amazon people. We've heard it talked about how Wonder Woman was created out of clay. And so in this particular book, all the Amazons are created the same way. And the earth being cursed by this horrific a radioactive war, then the earth is cursed. And so therefore anything created out of the earth, like the Amazons become horribly mutated monsters seeking revenge on those that have been damned. It is so good. I could, it's almost like some kind of metaphor there. I don't know. (laughs) Speaking of which let's get Chad in here with his initial thoughts. I've kind of gushed about this book for a little bit. Chad, what did you think of this? So this book is one of those books that we talked about this earlier when we went over some Tom Scioli stuff uh, and Ed Pisker stuff, this is one of those books that I feel like is almost too cool for me and that it has that really awesome art style. And it was so much fun to go through just because parts of this book were Planet Hulk. Parts of this book were, you know, what would happen to Wonder Woman after she outlives the rest of the Justice League. And there were so many cool moments, but it was also packed into this hyperkinetic art style. And when you would get into the combat scenes, like you would see the sound effects, you would see the motion blur, you could feel all the stuff that was happening. And when the Hydra would come out or the monsters would come out, like there was such detail there and there was such beauty in all these pages. Like 
this is definitely something beyond your standard superhero fare for sure. But there are so many little moments, like whenever she goes into the Batcave and there's Batman sitting on the couch. The Bat Skeleton, I should say. And, you know, she takes his belt. And then later on, you see the story about, you know, Batman, you know, riding out those final moments. Like, that was intense. When you see her encounter with Superman and, like, how that leads to so much of the disaster, that was intense. It has that style where it feels like it's part of that underground comic scene. But at the same time, like, there's so much going on here. It, it, it's tough for me to process, but all of it was entertaining and fun and crazy. And why does Cheetah have another cat hand in addition to her cat face, but only has teeth going up the side like she's some kind of venom monster? And, like, oh, it's good stuff. I was wondering whether or not you were going to equate it at all to Fury Road and, and the experience you had with Fury Road. Because I know that a couple of weeks ago we were talking about post-apocalyptic movies and you mentioned Fury Road is one of your favorites. And the reason why it was in your favorite is there's there's just stuff that happens in that movie that you really couldn't do anywhere else. And I feel like with like Cheetah with the Cheetah hand, like I was like, that doesn't happen anywhere else other than in Wonder Woman Dead Earth because... Yeah, everything's just nuts. <laughs> no, it, it, it is. It's it's balls-to-the-wall crazy. You know, Wonder Woman's leading charges of armies, you know, with swords, and she's driving jeeps into the belly of this weird Sarlacc pit-like thing, and the, you can read the sound effects. Like, I don't know. It's, it's so hyperkinetic. It's just lots of fun. All right, J.A., what were your initial thoughts of uh, Wonder Woman Dead Earth? Oh, I really liked it. I thought it's like taking the Wonder Woman comic and sort of melding it with what a Conan book would be in terms of, you know, there's lots of sorcery and swordplay and uh, lots of violence and gore. To Chad's point about the art style, it takes you out of what we think of what a superhero comic, especially like a Wonder Woman, you know, an A-list character from DC would be because it completely changes everything, not just changes the story and changes, you know, everyone's dead and she's in the future and it's post-apocalyptic, but the art does that too. You don't see Wonder Woman as this beautiful Amazonian, but it looks like she could be sitting in the pages of uh, a Conan book or something. It's just, I dug the the juxtaposition between what we normally come to expect when you see a Wonder Woman on the cover and then what we got. Yeah, she definitely in this book looks... I'm not going to say punk, like, but there's a there's a definitely a punk element to this, like kind of a she looks dirty, like she looks like she again, she's living in a world that nobody has showers. And that's, and that's by design. Everybody looks like that. And then so the fact that they didn't make Wonder Woman like this gorgeous Hellenistic ideal in this, but really made her look like a normal person with kind of. A, a bird's nest of hair and and um, just kind of always downtrodden face. Like she just, she looks sad a lot in this book. Like she's been beat up by life. And, and, and that is, is powerful, to, at least to me. It made me feel for the character in a way that I've not felt for Wonder Woman in a lot of other works. I've oftentimes commented on how Superman is the best when you put him in stories in which it's not so much about his power levels or how strong he is or whatever, but deals with his relationship to humanity and how he's, you know, just trying to fit in with us and trying to be the best parts of us while at the same time being an outsider. And I think that they tap into the same kind of feeling with Wonder Woman here. You know, again, it starts off with that very cliche beginning of, you know, waking up, in the middle of the post-apocalypse and like having to learn the new rules and kind of being a audience surrogate to the way things are now. And uh, wonder woman does that for us through her fights in the arena with cheetah uh, again, showing her might, but at the same time, it's still a depowered wonder woman compared uh, to some of the stuff we've seen. Uh, she doesn't have magic lasso. She doesn't have her power bands or her. And that's Bracelets actually of design. submission. Yes, we'll get that in a second. But so she doesn't have all those kind of classic tropes. And I think that allows you to tell a Wonder Woman story that you probably couldn't otherwise. And gosh, that made it so much more powerful. No, I, I can see where you're coming from. Wonder Woman's one of those characters where there are very few like Wonder Woman stories that I, I could latch on to. Um, and this one definitely feels like it fits the bill. 
what I think works, because sometimes it doesn't work, and it, you get it a lot with Superman. You get, obviously you have to get it a lot with Wonder Woman because they're just so powerful that to make them interesting, you have to depower them. And often that can feel a bit like a device in force. And I don't think it does in this respect because her lack of power in the beginning also mimics her lack of awareness of the world. So as she goes through the world, learning where her place is in this new environment, she learns, you know, sort of about her powers and what happened to her powers and how she can get them back. And even without her powers, she can, she's still fighting the good fight. And, you know, so going through that hero's journey so that when she gets her powers back, it feels like a revelation. Right. One question I did have for both of you is that uh, one of the parts of her powers uh, in this book, again, deals with the gauntlets that we so often equate with Wonder Woman. And in this particular book, the reason why she always wore them was actually to limit her power because she was scared of them. She was scared of losing control and some of the damage that she could deal otherwise. And in fact, issue three deals with what happens when you get a Wonder Woman completely cut loose from any sort of limitations. And she basically straight up murders Superman. And the world. Yes. What did you think of that issue? where Wonder Woman and Superman battle and the fact that like just the ferocity and the, like the viciousness that you see from Wonder Woman in that story, unlike anything I've seen in any other Wonder Woman story, I think the fight was absolutely brutal. You know, you see the kicks, you see the punches, you see the knees to Superman's face um, and all that. It's, you know, with the story setup, will tell you why Wonder Woman is so emotional at that moment. But you really feel it. And I think that helps to to Jay's point. Um, he was talking about, you know, the, the loss of powers and how it didn't feel contrite. It feels earned in this book. Whether it's Wonder Woman's anger, that felt earned. Whether it's Wonder Woman recognizing that she screwed up, that felt earned. Her, her depression, her desolation. And then the fact that once she's pushed, she's pushed to the absolute limit. And you see her coming out of that issue, issue three, and she's now armed with all these different relics for members of the Justice League, including the most badass weapon of all time, where she rips Superman's skull and spine and uses that as a whip to go around and kill people. And while she's doing it, she's wearing Batman's utility belt, and she has a chunk of Flash's costume hanging off. She's pushed to the absolute limit, but everything felt so earned in this story that doesn't feel like tropes. It just felt like one awesome thing after another, after another, after another. It seems with these sort of Elseworld, future world, dystopian novels, people just love to get their hero and beat the crap out of Superman. So you saw that with uh, Dark Knight Returns, where Batman, remember this, Clark, my hands around your neck, I beat you. Oh, yeah. And this one goes even farther. This one, I loved it. Me being personally thinking that Superman is like the boringest of boring characters most of the time anyways, I love when he's used as a, a foil <laughs> to the main character of the book, and then they just kick the crap out of him. <laughs> That's right. That but kick that... where his face goes like sideways. Oh, yes. And, and then to Chad's point about the turning his, when she goes all predator and pulls his skull and spine out and, and threads the magic lasso of truth through it to create a whip that's just awesomely gory yeah that, that is not uh, uh, just a whip at that point that is like a, that is like a morning star that's something straight out of castlevania like that's when you get the the, the the whip upgrade at the end because that's like a cudgel it's the coolest superman has ever been <laughs> You're right, you're right. But just just the way that she loses control in that issue three. By the way, issue three is by far my favorite issue, just simply because, again, it's at that point, it's just two people. Because it's a story of uh, Wonder Woman, it's the story of Superman. It's a story about a, a woman and a man and a fight. And that's so universal, I think, throughout you know all kinds of stories. But to see that scene where she, like you know, breaks into the, the Fortress of Solitude, she kicks open the kryptonite, and she just 
grabs it, just like starts throwing it like like javelins into him, and then just punches him right through the chest and through the chair behind him. My God, KO! I I felt it. I felt it in my bones. Like that's how powerful that particular art was. Just brutal, just vicious. I don't even know what those sound effects are. Called schlunk. Like it's horrible. Yeah. No, she totally. It totally goes Dragon Ball Z with the violence, but it's violence with purpose and with yes. merits behind it. Yeah, it, it and, does. And what I also like is it. It. She was so in the moment that when she relives it, it's the first time she remembers doing any of it. So the rage was so intense. Yeah, she was blinded. She was. It, it was. It was completely one of those moments. And I, I think there's so much regret after that. She comes back to the Fortress of Solitude and it's just it's just washes over. And I think that's why this book works so well, is because not only do you get these scenes of just brutal violence, but also again, to everybody's point, there's a story behind them. And for every moment you get like that, there's an equal moment of humanity. And so you're introduced to another audience surrogate in the character of Dee, which is like a, she's a young woman who starts off by kind of looking up to Wonder Woman, but then kind of seeing her hero as somebody that is fallible, that does have flaws. And the kind of the emotional interchange between the Diana character and this Dee character, I, 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 it's just it's just wonderful. And uh, there's a great scene where Dee gets the magic lasso and there's this guy that's running the human colony when wonder woman first shows up and his first influence is to lock her in chains and ah, i'll make her my new wife or whatever and after wonder woman takes power you start to see this character kind of i don't know grow a little bit and she d puts him in the magic lasso and he just he just says like i i i want to help like i i want to help and there's like this moment where there's this guy that pretty pretty scuzzy guy just simply says, not she has affected me now. Like she has given me hope, and now I just want to help this our, our group, and I just want to be a good person. And there's these moments throughout all of that. There's another great moment where Wonder Woman leaves this guy named, I think his name's E Dog or Edog. I don't know. I called him E Dog. It's and uh, she leaves him in charge, and he's like, I don't know if I can do it. And uh, she just simply says to him, like I've known a lot of really great men in my time, which she has Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash, all these guys that we know. And she says, you're up there with them, buddy. It just, it gave me the feels like this is not only great art, but this is great writing. And so kudos to like every aspect of this book. If I, if it doesn't sound like I'm gushing, I am. Agree. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll be right back with more of the last comic shop right after these messages with our grade. If, uh, and it's probably going to be at least a good one for me uh, for Wonder Woman Dead Earth. So stay tuned for more of that. Hey, everybody. Hey, I'm Ashley. And I'm Nagy. We're from Rock Candy Podcast. Kind of like behind the music, except unauthorized and drunk. But come along every week and listen to us talk about artists or albums that you may know really well or may have never heard of while we're drinking beers. Witty things to talk about. Great hot takes with some hot babes. (laughs) That's subjective, but okay. (laughs) So go find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party party on, on, kids. Well, that sounded forced. Is it not? (laughs) Hey, everyone. I'm Jamie, and I host a podcast called Murderish, which takes you inside stories of murder and other creepy events. The first episode of Murderish lets listeners be a fly on the wall for a first-degree murder trial. The story is told from a juror's perspective as I was that juror. If you are a true crime junkie and need to know every detail, you'll feel right at home with this podcast. Follow Murderish on Twitter at MurderishPod and on Facebook at Murderish Podcast. And don't worry, this doesn't mean you're a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we take this book that we just said lots of great stuff about it, 
and try to come up with a rating that would measure up to that. At least in my opinion. I don't know. This is this is real easy for me, at least this week. But as, as we often do on the show, we do a one out of four scale. And my co-host, J.A. Scott, is kind enough to always give us something different every single week in regards to what that scale is going to be. So, J.A., what is our rating scale for this week? All right. Well, our rating scale this week is going to be one out of four gauntlets. Because the gauntlets or the bracelets of submission, whatever you want to call them, uh, play a very big role in Wonder Woman Dead Earth because it's what allows her to control her powers and refine her powers. She loses her bracelets and obviously she kills Superman and then she loses her powers and Batman essentially takes them out away from her and says, give these powers to a human to give back to her when she's been redeemed. Allow humanity to choose whether to give Wonder Woman her powers back because these powers, while they can save humanity, they were also integral in destroying humanity. And I really love that little aspect of, of the book where uh, all these superheroes, they're all working to better humanity, but it's ultimately humanity's choice and humans' choice whether we want them or not. That's true. That is very, very true. And uh, again, we also didn't gush enough about the Superman robot. I thought that Superman robot with like, he's being held together by duct tape and gum. And I'm glad that they kind of threw that kind of robot character into And then some of the fights too. Like yeah. he's throwing haymakers. It's so cool. It's so cool. But uh, we'll go ahead and start off with Chad. Are you throwing that gauntlet down this week? What are you going to give this? I'm going to lay down the gauntlet. It's a four-star book. I said at the outset that I feel like it's too cool for me. I don't know if I can handle this level of intensity uh, and emotion all the time. But like as far as Wonder Woman stories go, it's not for the kids. But uh, I had a ton of fun. Each issue brought something else, some scene that, you know, I was either my jaw was on the floor because of, you know, what was going on or I was feeling it emotionally. And so Daniel Johnson does a, a great job all around. So four out of four uh, gauntlets. Okay. J.A., how many gauntlets are you giving it? Yeah, I'm going to give it four out of four gauntlets as well. I was on the fence. I was thinking maybe three gauntlets or three and a half gauntlets. But uh, our conversation has convinced me to go four out of four. I know that I'm cool enough for this book. I'm not worried about that. And I also like all the little call-outs. I mean, there's these setups, like issue four when uh, Thaden dies, you know, the guy who had been running uh, society before Diana shows up. And he's dying, and D comes over. D, are you all right? And she goes, we're good. And you know, this doesn't change anything, right? <laughs> I still hate you for what you did before. Yeah. I, I got to agree with both of you. This is easily a four out of four. This is, this is hard because since we've started doing this podcast, we've done some really, really great books on this. Uh, but honestly, I can probably say that this is the best book we've done thus far. That's what I'm going to say. As of today's show, this is the best book we've done so far. Why is it the best book th thus far? It's because every great superhero, at least in my opinion, has to have some story that I could say... You know, no, no. You want to read a good Batman story? Read Long Halloween. You want to read a good Superman story? Read uh, All-Star Superman. Now I finally have my Wonder Woman book. If I want to say to somebody, read a good Wonder Woman book, read Wonder Woman Dead Earth. And it's because they make her out to be the most human I've ever seen Wonder Woman. Truly, she is not some busty McGee goddess out there. She is a normal woman god she's flawed but she's at, at the same time in some other ways perfect like it is it's it's an actual more of a hellenistic ideal for me you know this is a pure picture of everybody with both the the good and the bad sides the the regret at the same time as the as the triumph that you get out of this Wonder Woman. Plus, I don't know, I just love post-apocalyptic stories. You can't tell these kind of stories in regular continuity. You need Elseworlds. You need to, like, basically wipe away all the continuity and start fresh and say, what would happen if, you know, Wonder Woman punched the hell out of Superman and caused the end of the world, and then she has to 
bring it back from the edge of oblivion. This is what she does. Still, and I love Cheetah. I really do. When Cheetah comes riding in on Pegasus, I think at issue two, to kind of uh, pull Wonder Woman away from kind of this the depths of the madness after she goes back to Themyscira. And they're sitting around the campfire. And who knows you better than your, your worst enemy at that one point. So the fact that they were able to connect, gosh, there's just so many good layers to this book. Yeah, and speaking of layers, I think, you know, we, we glossed over how great it is that the bad people are the Amazons. The best villains are the ones that good people create. So they're not just some force of nature out of something. They have direct result of humanity's decisions in the past. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right with the fact that uh, the whole reason that the war starts between Themyscira and the rest of humanity is simply because, like, humanity was poisoning the Earth, and that's where they came from. They were just pissed how, how terribly we were taking care of the Earth. And they were, they were like, trying no, to no, find solutions, and we just blew them all up. That's right. So completely justified. The best villains are often the heroes of their own story, and boy, howdy. The, you got that with the Amazons up until even that last battle. They were they felt they were in the right that humanity was a plague that needed to be wiped off the face of the earth for the good of the they, earth. The Amazonians did kind of have a point. They're just trying to point out to humanity that they're destroying the earth and then humanity turns them into monsters and mutant zombies. So you think we're destroying the earth now? Give us a minute. Yeah. Well, one thing that uh, humanity is also good for is giving out recommendations. On this particular program, every single week, we give you recommendations of other comic books that you can pick up at your local comic book shop. And uh, as often on our show, we do a similar book, a current book, and a book out of left field. And so on today's program, we're going to start off with uh, myself and our similar book, for today's broadcast and that is a wonderful wonderful book that i can't speak highly enough about it came out during the secret wars saga back in 2015 uh, it was written by jason aaron and with wonderful art by mike del mundo it was the five issue weird world series for those folks that have never read that particular series it's all about archon powerful barbarian warlord of the extra-dimensional world known as Polamachus. I guess that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. Anyways, he gets thrown into World World, and he gets to fight against the, the Magma Men from the old Crystar action figure line, and there's, like, all these man-things running around, and Morgan Le Fay is trying to take over World World. And uh, I gotta say that uh, this is one of the first comic books I ever read that I absolutely adored, in which the main character is completely unnecessary. <laughs> now, I'll say that. I know it's a little bit harsh, but what I'm saying is you don't have to have the character of Archon to actually make this story work. You just have to have a character like Archon. And they just happen to have Archon. Honestly, at the time, if uh, this was before Marvel got the rights back to Conan, I think Conan was still over at Dark Horse. But if they had the rights to Conan... It would have been Conan in this story, not Archon, because everything Archon does in this book is just basically Conan. It's uh, rescuing a dragon because he needs a fire-breathing mount to rain some havoc. It's Conan. Reluctantly joining forces with other noble warriors because temporary strength in numbers is to his advantage. That's Conan. And then fighting a sexy female wizard that would rather just as soon bet him than murder him? Yeah, that's pretty much Conan. And, but the, the reason why this uh, works so well is because Jason Aaron doesn't really need to give us a massively complex character in World World. He doesn't. The whole purpose of the series is actually just an immensely satisfying trek through the often forgotten portions of the Marvel's extremely diverse previous continuity world world is as some suggested in the book is just a place where you know those overlooked pages of steve gerber's man thing run or marv wolfman's run on skull the slayer or mary joe duffy's fascinating albeit shortly lived run on the saga of Kristar. these are just great books from the 70s and 80s that again people have just forgot about to create this world all around those books and to just give you like kind of an action-packed five-issue arc, it's just great. 
It's just it's just absolutely great. And that coupled with the absolutely gorgeous art by Mike Del Mundo with his fluid lines and his highly stylish palette choices, you've got a really unique series that that dares the reader not to just fully get invested on go- what's going on in this strange new world. In fact, I'll say it again. I don't think any other single artist could have done this book other than Mike Del Mundo. I think anybody else would have drawn this. It would have fallen flat. But with Mike Del Mundo's capable fingers, there's like a spark to all of this. It's like, uh, you know, those issues of heavy metal magazine, those covers that you would look at on the newsstands and you'd be like, oh my gosh, that is so instantly approachable, but also fantastic. And that's the the drama comes between the tension in those two things. So can't recommend it enough. I found it in a buck bin, all five issues. So it's real easy to get. Pick it up. Weird World by Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo. Just tremendous, tremendous stuff. And now we've got uh, J.A. with our current pick for this week. I'm going to have to check that out once I get through my uh, three tomes of Savage Short of Conan omnibuses that I've got sitting on my shelf. So that sounds like a a fun read. I'm also recommending a trade uh, this week, or actually uh, a collection of several of them uh, in the row. And that is the Dawn of X trade series um, that they've pulled together. Now, this is the story of the X-Men following House of X, Powers of Ten, uh, Jonathan Hickman's starting run on new X-Men. So Dawn of X, the trade series, volume one, volume two, volume three. I think they're up to volume seven or eight or maybe even ten now published, uh, collects the issues of the comic as they came out. So volume one of Dawn of X collects X-Men number one, Marauders number one, Excalibur number one, New Mutants number one, X-Force number one, Fallen Angels number one. So then volume two collects issue two of that series, volume three, issue three of those series. So you, you, it's really nice if you want to read all the X books and you need a break from like one long ass Hickman story because Hickman, while he is the main sort of architect of this world, he is not the writer on every book. So if you, if you are like Chad and can only deal with so much Hickman's charts mm, and graphs, too many X-Books, man. Too many X-Books. It's a really quick, they, they read really quick. So I've been going through them. Uh, hopefully, you know, someday soon, maybe we can sit down and, and do uh, the 10 of swords. Oh yeah, yeah. Up to. That right. sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> but it's coming up. We've been teasing oh. it for a couple weeks. It'll be later this month, and we'll be doing that ten of swords. I mean, Ja wants it. We got to give what our folks want. Anyways, uh, Chad, yeah, yeah, yeah. what is your uh, pick out of left field this week? Okay, so my pick out of left field is another opportunity where they took uh, uh, popular characters. And they gave them to a writer-artist and just said, here are the toys, go ahead and play with them. And in this case, they were literal toys. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Mikel Fife's G.I. Joe Sierra Muerte, which was a three-issue miniseries where it's very similar, where I feel like this guy was part of the underground comic style. But he takes a story that could have happened in regular G.I. Joe continuity back in the old Larry Hama run, the original one, uh, back in the 80s and 90s. And he tells a little side story. But it's just, once again, it's crazy action. There are all sorts of just like weird, cool things that happen in that story that you're like, why has that never happened before? And so, similar to Dead Earth, which had all those moments that you're like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. If you're a G.I. Joe fan, uh, track down Sierra Morte. It isn't necessarily like pigeonholed into any set continuity, so you can pick it up by itself and still read it and enjoy it. But if you're familiar with those old school Hama issues, you know, it fits right in. All the references, all the characters, all the everything just feels right. And it also feels like someone's playing with the toys to the best of their ability and just going, you know, once again, balls to the wall crazy with it. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm curious. And now that you, you mentioned that there's like some of these cool ideas that never have been done. Can you give at least one example from that book? That, so, like, like snake eyes. Uh, there's a one point where he, he emerges as red snake eyes. And you're like, what is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> just, he's just wearing red armor instead he's just of his all black. Red. It's, you know, I, I forget what the setup is. Cause it's been a minute since I've read it, but, uh, 
it's red snake eyes. You're like, why would snake eyes do how? Like, why has this never been a thing? It's red snake eyes. And like Storm Shadow's there and he's all brainwashed by Cobra. It's awesome. All right. Well, that's all the time we had for the last comic shop this week. Make sure that you check out us over at our fantastic website. That's www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific little place where you can not only rate, review, and subscribe to all those terrific places you can find our podcast every single week, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, YouTube, CastBox, Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. But you can also check us out on the social media. We've got the links for our social media, our Twitter account, which we're very, very active. We've got tremendous little uh, thing that we do every day called uh, month in comic book history so make sure that you check us out on our twitter account as well as instagram and facebook and uh, ja what else can they do out on our tremendous little website they can get some merch yes that's right have you ever wanted a last comic shop t-shirt well you can buy it here a hoodie a beer koozie and new for this week bracelets that's right last comic shop bracelets Keep your powers in check with Last Comic Shop Bracelets. And while we might be the last comic shop, chances are when you're hearing this, we are not, in fact, the last comic shop. There are places out there near you. You can use the Comic Shop Locator at www.comicshoplocator.com to find a place where you can find things like Dead Earth. You can find stories like Sierra Muerte. You can find all of the X-Books. So many X-Books. <laughs> and maybe in the, in the buck bins, they've got your weird world issues as well. But uh, find a shop, support a shop, keep this uh, industry as we know it going. Uh, we all appreciate that. All right. Well, that was all the time we had for Last Comic Shop. I was the host of the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by my co-host, Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And until next week, stay safe. Stay sheltered. And remember, we've said goodbye before, so it stands to reason. We'll say hello again. Unless someone hits you with Superman's skull. You're not saying nothing after that. (laughs) What do you think happened to the invisible jet? Do you think it's broken somewhere, but because it's invisible, you can't see it? Just broken invisible. Comic Shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.